So God is telling us the story of Messiah's birth and we read Matthew's Gospel chapter 1 verses 1 to 17 and we had a picture of the generations coming down like this. I think it's giving the legal family tree of Jesus because it says Jacob father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Joseph who was the husband of Mary uh, so it's the legal, the adoptive family that he's born into, I think that's what, it, what it's doing here let's look back because Matthew says there are some really important people and he divides up his genealogy into a scheme of 14 plus 14 plus 14 and he goes back to this person. Anybody tell us who the person right at the back, the far end of the genealogy is? Abraham, Abraham, yeah, Abraham. Woo! Space. Uh, and, I mean, lots of things you could say about Abraham, but let's just pick on one particular thing about him. Uh, he's the man that God used to start off the whole thing of the nation of Israel and he did it by making him a promise a really spectacular promise and the thing about Abraham was that he well he did something with this promise which is you which I put up there F something something TH so I've picked out one sort of bullet point about Abraham he was the man of faith the man of faith. So uh, Matthew's saying, if let's think about Jesus. Let's think about the things that lead up to him. His family tree is important. This is the sort of group that he was born into. And right at the beginning of it, it says these are people to be marked by faith. If we're to belong to this group of people, we're to be people of faith. And I offer that as an important thing. We're to live lives trusting God. And then he picks out another person, 14 on, <coughs> beginning with D. Anybody like to give us this person? David, yeah. So he's there in verse 6. Jesse, the father of David. David, the father of Solomon, and so on. So I thought I'd just pick out one thing here that's important about David because there are, if, you, if you think of the Old Testament like a mountain range, there are some mountains that stick up higher than others and Abraham is like a mountain on the horizon because he's the man of faith and David is another mountain on the horizon because he's something K-I something something. Angel. Well, uh, no, angel isn't the answer to this one. This is David. Oh, NG. Oh, sorry. I thought it said angel. NG. NG. Well, thank you. I do apologise. Yeah, that's a great answer. King. He's a king with a kingdom. So that's an important thing about Jesus. He's born into a royal family. We're talking about authority we're talking about a group of people who do what the king says and then he gives us another 14 and he says that 
part of the experience of the people of, that Jesus was born into was this of exile there were people who deserved the punishment of God and were sent away because of that and God brought them back and kept his promises and that's part of the story of Jesus that uh, there's such a thing as deserving punishment there's such a thing as promises that bring people back promises that bring people back and uh, Zach please could you come and read us uh, the next section so let's look at the uh, what uh, Zach kindly read to us bit about dreams comes up and about names so this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about verse 18 his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph but before they came together she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit so he's a bit uh, perplexed about that Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace and he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. So all I've got is a little dreaming bubble there. And this is what he's told. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus so let's think about that name Jesus uh, sometimes people are quite keen on saying that Jesus has a Hebrew name Yeshua uh, well um, that is the Hebrew equivalent although in the New Testament it's Yesu um, we say Jesus uh, Yeshua is very similar to the name Joshua of course Joshua is an Old Testament person isn't he lots of Joshua's in the Bible and it has a meaning it means something like God saves or he saves so the, the name of the child is important and the angel says this is to be his name this is to be the words that you connect to his identity that he saves or God saves through him so that's an important feature and we're told something about who he saves and what he saves from. Anybody like to tell us? It's in verse 21. Save his people. And what does he save from? From their sins. From their sins. So I, I don't think that's insignificant. I think that is significant. Uh, he's to save his people. The question, are you one of his people? And he saves his people not from poverty, uh, not from ill health necessarily, but in particular from their sins. He's a saviour to save us from our sins of course that poses the question do you think that's a problem do you think you are a sinner 
and then if you do think you are a sinner here's a wonderful remedy for that here's Jesus who's come specially to save his people from their sins so let's take that on a little bit further uh, one of Matthew's favorite things to do is to quote the Old Testament and to say this Jesus hasn't appeared from nowhere with no introduction so many of the things that he does are referenced in the Old Testament and are fulfilled in him so in verse 22 it says all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet that's the prophet Isaiah the virgin will be with child and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us when Joseph woke up he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded he took Mary home as his wife but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus so there is the scroll of Isaiah and in it it says uh, it gives the name Emmanuel or the child will be called Emmanuel which means God with us and I don't know why I chose that word to ask you to fill in the blanks but let's do it, do it. so the book of Isaiah is fulfilled fulfilled so Jesus comes in fulfillment to fill up the promises that God has made through the Old Testament uh, I know some of you are reading through the Old Testament and you might find it a bit of a struggle but here's an encouragement all the Old Testament speaks about Jesus Christ there's a place where one of Jesus' disciples said we found the one whom the law and the prophets testify about and the, the purpose of the Old Testament is to tell us in advance about Jesus so if you're reading through the Old Testament Jesus is there he might not be quite where you expect him to be but he's there and if you seek you'll find him he's the fulfillment of the Old Testament now where have we got to lost my place please could Brenda come and read us in Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 to 12 Amen. please be seated so let's look together at this uh, little section here there's a lot going on in this section <coughs> so we begin with these uh, after Jesus was born at Bethlehem in Judea in the time of King Herod Magi uh, big men, wise men, perhaps kings important people, doesn't tell us how many so I've deliberately drawn four of them <laughs> uh, yeah I am and um, so let's pick out one point here one perhaps significant point so I've got something there ST two more letters A and R star not many people have their own personal star you can name a comet after somebody I guess but this is 
the star particularly for Jesus we have seen his star in the east or in its rising and have come to worship him so something quite remarkable there somebody who has their own personal star there are prophecies about that but I suppose these people from the east because they're not Jews they don't have the Jewish scriptures uh, they wouldn't have known the prophecies but they would have known from their own presumably their own magical background that there are that they were expecting somebody important connected with this star so on they go and they uh, make their way to Jerusalem the king of the Jews they are looking to see now I have a feeling that Herod might have been a little bit taken aback by somebody coming and saying where is he that is born king of the Jews because he might say, well, you've already got a king. It's me. What a perfectly good king. Well, he wasn't a perfectly good king, but they, he might have been thinking that. And I think he would have been a bit irritated by them saying, we've come to worship the king of the Jews. Well, that's me. Uh, well, so there they come, earnestly asking the king, where is the king of the Jews? King Herod heard this. He was disturbed let's make him disturbed so he's disturbed and all Jerusalem with him and what does he do next to find out about the king of the Jews what does he do next Yet he calls, he calls together the chief priests and the teachers of the law and he asks them, so where is the king of the Jews, the Christ, to be born and where do they go to get the answer? Scripture. Scripture. So it's interesting, isn't it, that God provides this star to get them so far but in order to focus more exactly they need scripture so the things at least work together and I think I would like to claim that uh, scripture is the key and I think it's like that with people you find that people come inquiring about Jesus Christ perhaps motivated by a problem in their lives or some feeling that they have or maybe even a dream or a vision but in order to focus in on the real Jesus you can't do it without scripture and you come to the Bible so here are the people with the scriptures pointing to the scriptures saying this is where it says you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel so off they go southwards from Jerusalem to Bethlehem and in the meantime Herod calls the Magi secretly to find out more details and he says go and make a careful search for the child as soon as you find him report to me so that I too may go and worship him do you believe him? no 
No, no, he's, he's, he's trying to have them on, isn't he? He doesn't want to worship the child. He wants to kill the child. So let's send them on to Bethlehem. Camel. Bethlehem. And that little bit doesn't come in yet. So they bring to the Christ, as it says, something beginning with T-R and something beginning with W-O-W. Oh, I give it away, didn't I? W something R. Right, uh, uh, forget, what, forget what I just said. What's the first word? Treasure. They bring their treasure. And it includes... It says, they, they opened their treasures and presented to him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. So at least those three gifts. I think that's why people say there were three wise men, but it could have been much more than that. So they brought their treasure, they brought costly gifts to the baby and they bowed down and then that's where the next word comes in, worship. So it's very significant that Matthew's Gospel begins with these foreign kings brought specially by God, uh, whatever size group it was, to worship Christ and foreign kings bow down to him even as a baby. But it, 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 it doesn't stop being complicated because in verse 12, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So they're given a vision that says, don't go back to Jerusalem as he asked you to, but just sneak off by another route. And that's what they did. Let's sing number 387. Is in chapter, uh, chapter 2 from verse 13. So the child has been born. It doesn't, although the hymn and perhaps Christmas cards ask us to envisage the shepherds and the wise men all being there at the same time, it doesn't actually say that. So maybe they weren't there at the same time. There is a timing thing because Herod wants to kill children uh, of two years old and under. So that gives quite a wide range uh, over which these, these events uh, might have taken place. So Joseph is warned in a dream to escape to Egypt. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So Herod is sending his men to kill the babies. Don't get that on Christmas cards very often. It is part of the story. Uh, and and so it's a very upsetting part of the story, this uh, uh, slaughter of, of the children. A little bit like what Pharaoh did to Israel back in the days of Egypt, except this is the wrong way round because it's the king of Israel who's supposed to be protecting his people who actually turns into their biggest enemy. So there is this killing of baby boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, two years old and under, and this too 
Matthew says it's fulfillment of prophecy those tears are tears that were foretold and actually if you look in the foretelling the tears are what happens before the sun begins to shine the uh, the prophecy is saying you know here's the the weeping but the tears will be wiped away and uh, good things will happen that's where the prophecy is going but it's an unpleasant incident so he took uh, so he got up and took the child and his mother and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet out of Egypt I called my son so they went to Egypt and then they come back out of Egypt and Matthew says this is a fulfillment too uh, because if you think about it part of the history of Israel was that they went into Egypt and then they came out from Egypt and out of Egypt I called my son says the prophet and Matthew says well this is the same thing only if you like bigger and better it's that sort of fulfillment it's a, a taking of a pattern in the Old Testament and saying here it is again in Jesus out of Egypt I called my, uh, my son and the same thing happens with Jesus he gets called out of Egypt and verse 19 when Herod died an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in Egypt and said go back get up take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead so back they come but more specifically they're told in there there's a baby in a basket here the baby's a bit older they're told not to go to the Bethlehem area having been warned in a dream he withdrew to the district of Galilee so Galilee's up north so go up north and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth in the Galilee area I don't know whether Nazareth is actually anywhere near sea but I've put a little bit of sea that you could look that you could uh, you could view and then Matthew says this too is fulfillment uh, he will be called a Nazarene and people have puzzled down through the centuries what it is that Matthew is thinking of was fulfilled because I don't think there is a verse which says he will be called a Nazarene sometimes the New Testament writers pull together a lot of ideas and put them into one sentence and say this is the fulfillment of this there is in the Old Testament the promise that the one to come will be called a branch he will branch out he will be like the little stem that when you put it in a dry ground it begins to uh, come up and form a new plant and there's prophecies about the royal family being cut back and, it, and the stem, the root, the stem of, 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 uh, of David popping up again and uh, interestingly the Hebrew word for the branch is a nezer and maybe he will be called a nezer maybe that's what Matthew has in mind he will be Mr. Branch, Mr. Branchman uh, or he could be thinking about Nazareth which is really out of the way it was up north beyond Hull and Grimsby it was uh, it says he withdrew to that place it's a rather obscure place 
And there's lots of ideas in the Old Testament about the Messiah coming from an obscure situation, somewhere unknown, somewhere where it's hidden, uh, you know, like an arrow hidden in the hand, uh, ready for work at some point. And maybe that's what Matthew has in mind. But here's uh, uh, the end of this bit of the story. And so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. Well, let's try and bring that all together. So what lessons can we learn? So here's the first one, that Jesus' birth fulfilled scripture. So difficult to get that on a Christmas card because it's, it, it's saying the centuries and centuries and loads and loads of streams of understanding and prophecy and patterns and it's all fulfilled in Jesus Christ which makes him such a great and brilliant and rich person. Uh, Jesus' birth is in fulfillment of scripture. Uh, he also fulfills Israel He's, in him is the fulfillment of his nation. You get that in the genealogy. So he's the, uh, from the Jew, uh, salvation is from the Jews. That from them is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. So he's not only the fulfillment of prophecies, but he's the, the fulfillment of his nation. And even, you notice in the geography, what Israel did going into Egypt and coming out of Egypt, Jesus re, uh, relives, if you like. He, re, uh, he recapitulates, he goes over again. He embodies the, uh, his nation. He is, if you like, Israel. He is what God had in mind all the time, which is a rather wonderful thing to say. We can also say that Jesus is not an ordinary human being. He, he is a human being, but he's not an ordinary human being. In this, his birth was from God, from the Holy Spirit. He was born supernaturally, without a human father, with a human mother, but without a human father, uh, without a human biological father. He had a human legal father, so he's fully adopted into his adoptive family, hence the genealogy which places him as a in the royal family so we know uh, those things about Jesus we're also told explicitly that he came to save his people from their sins that's what he came to do to save us from our sins that's grace isn't it it's God saving us we deserve judgment we deserve to be sent into exile ourselves but the saviour comes to take people who are unworthy people who are sinful people who have failed and to take those people and redeem them and rescue them and save them he came to save his people from their sins we also see that he began uh, receiving the worship of international people, indeed international kings. And in that, of course, that wasn't the only time he did that. That's what he does now. He 
continues to be the person whom God says come and worship him come and worship him from all nations come and worship him from Saudi Arabia come and worship him from Germany come and worship him from China come and worship uh, at the feet of Jesus Christ he began to do that and he continues to do that we also learn something perhaps less palatable that right at the beginning he experienced opposition and threat that was part of his life almost from the word go they were trying to kill him even then and that shadow hangs over his life all the way through doesn't it sometimes the shadow recedes sometimes a bit closer and in the end it engulfs him that he came uh, under threat and he died under threat he died under unjust condemnation they were out to get him and he gave his life and I suppose his enemies might have thought that they'd won but we know that in that very moment as he died on the cross that's his greatest triumph that's how he saves us from our sins by his death on the cross and we also see something of the manner of his life even then uh, he lived in Nazareth he lived you know, up north and that's the sort of person he continued to be he didn't make a big fuss about himself uh, he didn't shout from uh, the rooftops a bruised reed he didn't break a smoking candle he didn't extinguish there was something remarkably humble about Jesus remarkably selfless about him he lived in obscurity and humility and those things I think we can read off, off, the, uh, off the story without too much difficulty uh, and that's the way God tells us the story of the coming of Jesus that's the way God tells us the story and I've got three things to ask in our response number one is trust so this is the story of somebody who is trustworthy this is the story of somebody who is a saviour and the response to somebody who is a saviour is to put our trust in him so if you imagine that you were drowning at sea and they send a helicopter to rescue you and they drop down the line and there's a winchman at the end of it and he holds out his hand and he says hang on to me I'll save you and there is a moment there where you decide whether you're going to trust him or whether you're going to say it's alright mate I'll manage you know, don't, don't, you know, don't worry about me I can make it on my own so call her whether you're going to do that or whether you're going to say thank you so much you are just what I need grab me because I need to be rescued from here and that is the response of trust and I want to ask you whether you are prepared to put your trust in Jesus Christ and whether you are prepared to live trusting him you might say well actually I can look back in my life and found when I've prayed he has been trustworthy and I want to say the Christian life is lived by trusting it's lived by, in faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me 
So that's the first question of trust. Second question of worship. In this story is the worship of the wise men. It's an important part of it. They had the right attitude to the king. Where is the king? We've come to worship him. Herod, of course, had the wrong attitude and he tried to kill him. And I want to ask you this morning about your response of worship. I want to ask you about your response of worship. And I want to put it in terms of a costly laying at his feet precious things. And I want to say that is the way to respond to the king. To lay if I may say the most precious things we have at his feet and I don't want to say that lightly or tritely because that's a lot to do to take what is most precious to us and lay it at his feet and what might be most precious? I don't know. We're all different, aren't we? It might be a, a money. You might have got money and you think, I'm going to hang on to this. And Jesus says, well, I'd like you to lay that at my feet, actually. It might be your hopes for the future. You say, well, I'll tell you what, I've really got my heart set on such and such. And Jesus says, well, I'm okay, but I want you to lay that at my feet. Or it might be a relationship that you, you know, you, you, your whole life is, you know, that's, that's, that's your life, that's what, what you're, and he says, actually I come first. I want you to lay that at, at my feet. And as we lay things at his feet, it doesn't necessarily mean that, that Jesus says, okay, right, got that, and, take, and, and sort of takes them away. It may be that the Lord says, well, now you've laid it at my feet, I'll give that back to you again. But it is important that we lay it at his feet. It's important that we lay it at his feet. So there's a question about worship there. And my third thing is about walk. Because this Jesus is the Jesus who is alive. This Jesus is the Jesus who is the saviour. This Jesus is the Jesus who... commands us to walk with him he says walk with me and walking with Jesus includes things like coming into places where we experience opposition and threat we don't always get everybody's approval and Jesus says well I never did aren't you walking with me never promised you anything other than this if they rejected me they'll reject you you have to be prepared for that about walking with him and walking with him in humility and perhaps even in, in, in obscurity Jesus said let me just get my sentence right here Paul puts it this way Here's Jesus who, uh, being in very nature God, did not count equality with God, something to be hung on to at all costs, but 
was prepared to relinquish that and to serve and to be humble and Paul says that's the mindset that Jesus had and that's the mindset that Christians need to have that's the mindset that Christians need to have to let go of the claim to fame the claim to be center of the world everything fits around me to let go of that and to walk selflessly serving others looking upon their concerns and their interests as much as one's own that's what he says so I want to put those three words trust will you decide to live by faith will you even now I'm going to live by faith will you be a worshipper of Jesus laying everything at his feet even though that's a costly thing and will you be prepared to walk with him taking the steps that he leads you through going at his speed going where he leads will you walk with the saviour let's close by singing number 484